Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. This is the Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we are overcoming average. Welcome back to the Hard Thing Podcast, my friends. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and I'm here to help you take action items from high-performing individuals who have done hard things and implement them in your life so you can do hard things and improve your life. We're here to help you have actionable ways to tackle the obstacles, the trials, the difficulties facing you in your life right now, whether those are chosen or whether those are, are without your choice. We're here to help you make your way forward, upward and onwards through doing hard things. And today we do that by talking to Dana Ferrant. She is an awesome individual. I'll explain more about her in a minute. But before I do that, I want to talk about some announcements. First of all, I'd like to invite you guys over to our Patreon. There you can get some bonus content, uh, including stuff from guests, behind the scenes, uh, maybe some bloopers coming up. Anyways, it's just a nice way to get extra content and also start supporting the podcast if you have that opportunity and you're able to. So go to patreon.com slash the hard thing podcast. You can get, like I said, free content there. If you want to, you can sign up for various tiers of patronage, which gives you various bonuses and things like that. And if you have any suggestions for uh, tiers, feel free and let us know. Um, also, I'd like to invite you guys to go check out OURrescue.org to learn more about Operation Underground Railroad. Now, Operation Underground Railroad is literally one of my favorite organizations. I volunteer for them. I am on, you know, the Utah Orem, Utah North Utah County volunteer team. And what Operation Underground Railroad does is they go undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. If you think back to the days of the Civil War, 1860s, around there, there existed the Underground Railroad, where men and women would put themselves in danger to go rescue others who were still in bondage, in slavery. Well, that's exactly what Operation Underground Railroad does today, except they, they rescue children who have been imprisoned in sexual slavery. They literally go undercover, you know, like, like you see on all those action movies, talking to these very bad people, very criminalistic people, and there's very real threat of danger. And it's all to rescue children. Now, if you think that is one of the coolest things you've ever heard of, you're not alone. I, I love it, and I want you to support them. I want, I want to support them. You know, I, I donate to them every single month. You don't have to do that. Um, if you do, it's awesome. But the biggest thing you can do to help support them, help them rescue kids, is to go to ourrescue.org. And just learn about it. You know, get involved, hear the message, just so that way we're not, you know, brushing this under the rug. We have to look at this problem and confront it in order to fix it. So go to ourrescue.org, learn about what they're all about, and help solve this problem. 
Now, let me tell you about today's guest today. I have the awesome opportunity to talk with Dana Ferrant. She is an advisor and business performance coach, as well as an author. Uh, today's a very interesting conversation. It goes all sorts of places that I never expected. Hopefully, you can hang on for the ride. Uh, we're going to talk about business. We're, we're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about making sure that you are who you are and not living dual lives. Anyways, we're going to talk about all of that in my conversation. So listen up with this conversation with Dana Ferrant. Well, welcome, Dana, coming to the Hard Thing Podcast. Thank you for joining me on my show. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you. Excellent. Likewise. Uh, before we hop into everything else, let's ask the question that I ask every single one of my guests. Dana, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Hmm. You know, I, I struggled with this because I thought, you know, there's several great stories that I have, but I think the one... Um, for your listeners would be the fact that I grew up in a cult. And just before my 18th birthday, I moved out and moving out of the family home meant also that I had to leave um, everybody that I knew. So all the friends that I had, um, all the support that I had in the community, everything, I had to do all of that in order to choose what worked for me because I had come to the point where I knew that that religion, the cult of religion, wasn't the piece that was actually going to fuel my fire. I was, I would probably end up committing suicide if I stayed because it was really out of alignment for me. And, and that was a tough choice to make. It's, it's really not easy to leave everyone and everything you've ever loved um, in order to choose you. But it, in the long run, has been the best decision that I've ever made because it has sent me on this journey of healing and exploration and being able to help other people heal that I'm so grateful for. Uh, to kind of help our audience have a common understanding, common ground of understanding, um, would you mind defining cult? Because I know in some cultures, cult means different things. And so I just mm -hmm. want to make sure everyone is understanding it the same way you're explaining it. Yeah. So um so a cult, you know, and well, let's talk about religious cults because that's mm -hmm. the most common, but um, what defines a cult is when, um, when you are segregated is one of the big factors. So you are isolated from the outside world. Um, when they have beliefs that allow, that will not allow, that require you to give up um, your autonomy, give up part of who you are in order to be part of it. There's usually an element where um, they have special lingo, they have their own phrases, they have their own way of seeing things. And quite often in religious cults in particular is that they will go against what traditional religions say. And, and that's a way of proving that, hey, we are the chosen ones. Um, and then there's usually some big sacrifice to make. Um, and that varies. So I, I grew up Jehovah Witness, which is on the milder cult spectrum. You know, we didn't have communes that we lived in. We weren't completely isolated. Uh, but there was a huge requirement of you only associate socially with people in the religion. You only associate, you know, at school with those that are in the religion or you keep yourself segregated from, from everybody else. And, and that's a that's a big ask for people. And then there's there's things that that we had to do growing up, like um, I had to stand out in the hall when they played the Lord's Prayer and the National Anthem. And that's a way of 
you know, making us very distinctly different. Um, and as children, that's a way to actually in, invite persecution. Um, and then they have this interesting twisted belief, <laughs> which reinforces all the things. They have this twisted belief that it, it, the proof of being God's chosen ones is that you will be persecuted. And then they do all of these things that set up for persecution. So, you know, you isolate yourself and you, you do these things that are against what everybody else believes. And, you, you know, you refuse blood transfusions and you, um, you knock on people's doors at 9am on a Saturday morning. And, you know, like you're, you're doing things that actually um, put you in harm's way. And then they use that to say, look, see, see, you're on the right path, which um, which creates that inward, you know, peace where people just seek refuge amongst their own people, amongst people who understand them, and that's a really big factor. So cults are all about control, segregation. Um, there's a lot of manipulation, brainwashing, you know, in especially when you grow up in it, like when you grow up in these things and you're indoctrinated um, three, four times a, a week, then the programming sets in. And that's that was really probably the hard thing. You know, it wasn't a singular moment, but unpacking all of the brainwashing that happened in the first 18 years has taken me the next 25 years um, and, and more really the next 30 years. So um, yeah, hopefully that gives yeah. a little more clarity. No, no, that definitely does. Um, Thank you. And I, I want to unpack it a little bit more. So you said it was out of alignment with, mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you, you said out of alignment. You out and, of alignment for, for who right. I am and what right. I believe. So um, yeah, explain that please. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's things, you know, when, when you get that niggly feeling of like, oh, this doesn't feel right. You know, somebody's asking you to do something and it just doesn't feel right. That's a sense of it being out of alignment. So here I was in this religion with these interesting beliefs that for me, they couldn't, um, they couldn't explain them well enough to make it make sense in my brain. And I'm grateful that I'm a highly intelligent person, but it created a conflict in that they're, you know, they're trying to explain these things and they're just dancing around and, and providing all of this, your double talk and, and whatnot. And I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And so there was always this niggly feeling inside saying, this isn't right. This isn't true. What if they've got it wrong? And, and you know, you're, you're brainwashed to believe that everyone else is wrong in the world and that, you know, where you are is the truth. In fact, they call it the truth, um, which is another way of, of programming you. But, you know, you're taught that, that everybody else has got it wrong and they're going to, you know, they're going to say all these things and you, you know, they give you all the words, but they can't change what you know intrinsically and, and when you know what is actually true for you intrinsically that will always have that that little piece it's almost like you know inside the little voice in your head is kind of knocking on the door and going mm, I don't think so I don't think this is working I like that phrase true for you intrinsically <clears throat> I mean um like there are principles in reality, like gravity, like no matter how much I want, the gravity is always going to make <laughs> me way more than Dana, just, uh, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm a heavier guy, yeah. how, however much I hate it. But there's something definitely to be said of understanding what you truly believe and then living in alignment with that. I have a saying, um, judge people by their own standards. 
And I, I think <clears throat> in a way you have to figure out what your beliefs are. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there might be listeners or audience who don't have anything to do with religion. They're like, oh, I, I can't relate with this. Well, yes, you can, because each and every one of you will have to figure out deep down what you believe, because there's mm -hmm. going to come moments where you're going to have that, as she explained, that niggly feeling inside where your employer's doing this, or your girlfriend's doing that, or your best friend's trying to get you to do this, or your children are doing that. And, and you're going to have this niggly feeling. And you or will even, have... you know, in business, exactly. you know, business is a great example, because for so many things, we're, we're, tempted to do things outside of what we believe is is true is right um and yet we're tempted to do them because of course that's it looks as though that's the way to make money mm -hmm. um you know let's let's sell ourselves on you know the fans only page because that's a great way to make money but it may be totally out of alignment with who you are at the core exactly i think if i remember back to my like college general course business classes um, there's like that triangle of, of ethics where there has to be an opportunity, there has to be a justification, and then there has to be, uh, I, there was like a third one in order for someone to make this eth ethical step over the boundaries, if you will. Um, so <clears throat> I find it interesting that you, you, you take yourself out of this situation, one that is very heavily laden with um, set values. Help us understand how you went along the journey of finding your values afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> to be honest, my first 10 years were really quite bumpy. Um, so one of the things, you know, that I've discovered in, in looking at recovering from cults and, and deprogramming is they say, you know, if you leave a cult, uh, you know, gradually you go back to who you were prior to joining it. Now that's under the assumption that let's say you joined as an adult. However, if when you join as a, as a kid, when you don't have that choice, uh, there was nobody prior to when you joined the cult. And so I ended up you know, going out and just experimenting with the extremes. I didn't, you know, didn't set out and say, oh, I think I'm gonna try out all the extremes. No, I right. just, it was like, you know, get get off into the sex, drugs and rock and roll, try that for a while and then go, mm, that's not quite it. And and right. then I tried the whole abstinence and being really Puritan and, and then I'm like, oh, that's not quite me either. And mm -hmm. so I tried a lot of different things. And when I look back, I realized that I tried a lot of extremes. And I think in in doing that, in being able to say, okay, this is what, um, extreme drinking feels like, and this is what, you know, abstinence from drinking feels like, what's, what's the middle ground that works for me? And that was the kind of the process. And it was a lot of trial and error. And like I said, it's slow, <laughs> it's painful. It's not the way that I'd recommend for most people to do it. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a big part of my journey because I think that painful process of, you know, going to these bouncing on these extremes and realizing, okay, I got to find something better. I got to find something that's actually going to move things along. So I was very driven to figure out how to, you know, untangle my brain um, to get it deprogrammed. And, and it took time. So you use the phrase, I was very determined to move things along. Um, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by move things along? Was it just you were trying to find that the value set that you really appreciated and spoke to you or, or kind of. I, I, without knowing without, you know, you know, now I can look back and say, yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out, you know, 
who who am I? It really, that's the journey. It was mm-hmm. the, it's who am I? And in trying out these different things, um, I a lot of times I didn't know who I was until I figured out who I wasn't. And so I tried a lot of things that, that were not a fit and gradually I started to see connections and, and pieces and, you know, starting to do some work to actually um, rewire my brain was a big part in being able to figure out who I am because the, the, all the old programming, as long as the old programming is running, then we don't get to hear very clearly what our voice is. Do you mind if I ask kind of, how did you evaluate um, when you try these extremes? I guess, what was the thought process or emotional process by which you determined this is definitely not, you know, the uh, the promised land, if you, if you will, this is not where I want to live? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's might seem kind of funny, but it's like, basically, if it felt crappy, <laughs> then I was like, I don't think this is the right thing. You know, when I was drinking a lot, I felt crappy. Um, when I was eating a lot, I felt crappy. Um, if I didn't feel at home in my own body, I assumed that I wasn't on the right path. And so I would try something different. And, you know, honestly, like, you know, the drinking thing was, was three or four years of doing that. And then eventually I'm like, okay, this really doesn't feel good. It only feels good when I'm drinking. Well, then that's not really going to work. Um, so I, I did a lot of getting honest with myself and saying, this isn't, what I, what I would like, this isn't what I envision for, for how I want to feel in life. And I think, you know, looking back, I could say, you know, the cost of leaving was so high. The price of leaving was so high. I think that kept me um, trying out different things and say, okay, let me, let me try a different technique. Let me, let me go to therapy. Let me try some neuro-linguistic programming. Let me try some EFT, you know, the emotional tapping work. And, and I kept trying different modalities because I wanted to feel that sense of, I feel good in my body. I feel like I belong. Well, um, at any point, and I guess this is more of just a curiosity. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, um, have you found your way to any other religious organizations or uh, have, have you just settled on values that, that are a fit for you? Uh, only in the last year and a half have I actually been able to say the word God and not be triggered. Uh, so no, religion's <laughs> been out of the question for me. Um, organized religion you know, I'm starting to see some value in it, but honestly, I, I can't see myself going back. I, I'm finally at the point where I, I don't, you know, snub my nose about other people that choose it because I can see some, some good things in, you know, people being able to have community and connection. And those are important things to have, which I get because having grown up in the cult and having that huge sense of family and connection, I was always looking for it. So I didn't end up in religion. I did end up in a couple of organizations that um, were kind of cult-like. Um, they went down that path. So I was involved in a, in a personal development marketing. <laughs> I tried that. That very quickly was like, no, that's not a good fit. But they are kind of cult-like. Yeah, it feels um, like they does feel like it, right? But um, no, I was involved with the personal development program. And I, you know, made my way up through the ranks, got to be a certified facilitator for their program. And the further up I went, the more I realized that these people are crazy. 
And, and then I started to see the correlation, right? That, that those people at the top is like, oh my God, they are doing manipulation tactics. This is, they're breeding these cult-like situations it's not entirely but they had their own lingo and you know everybody else has got it wrong and these same kinds of things that I was when I realized that I was like okay I I gotta get out of here um so I exited from that and then spent some time again rewiring my brain <laughs> and so I think I'm I think I'm done with the cults at this point I'm fingers crossed <laughs> I think that's actually a really good uh, a couple key things that you mentioned there about how to identify um, good organizations to get involved with, good businesses to get involved with. Um, I've, I've also been involved. It wasn't so much um, personal. I mean, it was still personal, but it was more real estate, real estate mm -hmm. education. Um, yeah. The companies that aren't as good as other companies will generally say we are the best and, and they will dissuade you from seeking information right. other, other places. Um, companies that are really good won't, won't claim that they're the best, but they'll kind of like say it under their breath. Like, yeah, we know we're really, really good. And if you want to go other places, we don't care. Cause we'll just find someone else. That's, you know, what, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I mean, every, like, here's the interesting thing is that um, when we talk about organizations and building businesses, there are elements of creating that, you know, culture, which, you know, <laughs> has been coined, right? Yeah. Um, but we have to watch, or, I, you know, I invite people to watch that. Are you creating groupies or are you creating loyal fans? Because there's a really big difference. You can create groupies fairly easily and they are the ones that are, you know, easy to manipulate, easy to, you know, fool into things. And they look like they're loyal, but long-term, you're gonna constantly need to build more groupies. Um, when you build loyal fans, it is harder. It takes longer because they will sit back and watch. They may watch you for a couple of years and go, I just wanna make sure I can trust you. And they're gonna they're gonna watch your behavior. They're gonna see how you show up. How are you choosing? How are you interacting with people? How are you treating your staff? How are you treating your customers? And those are the people that once they're in, then then they are a loyal fan and they will tell all their friends. And those people will stay with you for the life of your of your business. That's what you want to create because the groupies, I can promise you, the groupies, you know, you'll get the money instantly from the groupies, but then they become a big problem because as soon as they're pissed off, all the groupies start talking about it and it be quickly becomes a nightmare. So while it's tempting to go for that fast cash, um, my belief is that you are far better off to look at how do I build long-term loyal followers as opposed to groupies. So I think that's an excellent transition into kind of the business realm. Um, a lot of the listeners to this show have interest in business and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us how you got started into business. And then later on, if you could answer the question, how do you go about building that loyal following? Yeah. Okay. So for me, I've never been a good employee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Um, I decided I needed to be in business for myself after. Um, so I, I graduated young, I, right? I, I graduated at 17. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't know. So I actually went and worked at McDonald's for a year full time. And it was the best thing I could have ever done because from that, I realized I am a terrible employee and I don't ever want to work for corporate anything. 
Um, and so I started looking for what can I do that I'm going to be self-employed. So I'm kind of fortunate that, you know, right out of the gate, I was, you know, at 21, I started my, my first business. Um, and then from there, it just kept growing. So I started out in massage therapy, opened up my own practice, um, built that to having two clinics and then added on having a supply outlet store with that, built that up into the seven figure range and um, eventually sold that to transition into coaching. So as far as building the loyal customers, what I see is that it's, it's about providing value, the value that they are looking for, having their interest um, first and foremost, as opposed to your own. And, and we all have had, you know, times like, I'm sure there's people who can cite times when I have not had this at first, but what I've learned over time is that um, it's not hard. It's not that hard to treat people fairly. It's not hard to, um, to come forth with, with the, the good values of, I'm going to make sure that I'm serving you. So, you know, in real estate, making sure that you're getting the customer, the the house that works for them as opposed to the house that gets you the biggest commission. That's an obvious one. Um, but it's tempting. It's tempting when you have somebody, especially if you've got a client in front of you that you know is easy to manipulate, it is tempting. Like, oh, here's this fancy house. Oh, you would like this way better, right? But, you know, constantly coming back and choosing to say, okay, I'm going to live my values, and long-term, that will pay off. It doesn't mean you have to not make money, but long-term, it can pay off as opposed to the short-term. And I think that's really the big difference is, you know, are you going to try to like scale to the million dollars in a year? Or are you going to build a million-dollar business over five years that you just need to like continue to nurture it and feed it as opposed to you are constantly grinding the other way? I think it was... Gosh, it was either Cotopaxi or Patagonia, one of the two, that uh, purposely slowed their business. You know, kind of would turn away some some business opportunities and 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 really regulated their growth, so that way they didn't grow themselves out of business or or get too fast and then find out they had no foundation or things. Um, as you were talking, the thing that crosses my mind is like, wait, so you're saying businesses need to do marketing and sales and have them you know, intertwine and make sure that sales don't step over marketing to, you know, get a sale and so forth, right? Yeah, I, you know, you want to bring people on your team that have the same values and ethics. So coming back to your point, you know, discovering what our values are um, is really important. And then what values do you want the company to stand for? And when you go and you, you bring team members in, whether it's contract or employee situation, they first need to have the same values because if they don't have those core values, the rest of it doesn't matter because it will create problems. Have there been any times when you've brought in employees that pretty soon you figured out, okay, they definitely don't have the same values that we thought they did in their hiring process? <laughs> well, there was one because she tried to steal my business. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, in, and it's actually in fairness. I mean, it's an interesting story. So she was a massage therapist. I brought her in. I mentored her. She was one of the early people that I brought in. I mentored her. I, you know, got her going. She was really gung-ho and, and things were on board. But then she met this guy who was a narcissist and he pulled her into the trap. He manipulated her into his way of thinking. And he convinced her that she should open up, you know, do the same thing that I'm doing. And, you know, 
she was shocked when I hoofed her out, when I found out what she was doing. I'm like, you can't like, you can't have access to all my suppliers and all of my information and like go down the street and open up Mm-hmm. the same business like that doesn't work so you know that was a little different situation she she had the values but she got off course because of this fellow so um other than that i would say actually i'm pretty good about having hired people with good values um where i kind of messed up with a few people as i hired people who had the values but um didn't have the trainability and so like for our shipping department, I, you know, I had some great people. And then we, when they left, moved out, um, I brought in some other people who great values, great people made a lot of mistakes. And so we'd ship out the wrong thing and then have to ship it back and then ship it again. And that cost us a lot of money. And we went through a, a big chunk of time where I should have fired them really early, but you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, (laughs) when you said you know uh, this guy was a narcissist the first thing that came in my mind was like wait aren't all guys narcissists just kind of a funny thing but um, what lessons have you learned about how to look for that trainability in people and follow-up question on on the second part maybe i shouldn't ask two questions but i will why why exactly didn't you fire them and i'm not asking to you know point fingers whatever but i'm asking that that maybe we can learn going Mm -hmm. forward you know um, okay, so what do I look for for the trainability? Um, so when I'm teaching my clients now, because I, I help them to scale and get more of their team members. And so one of my big factors here is that we say, okay, we're going to you give people a task. You show them how to do it the first time. And then, you know, and especially remotely, you, you let them to you let them to do it the next time on their own. And you see how much did they retain? If they can't figure out how to go back to the training video to make it right the first time, then they're probably not a good fit. So you, because if you're working with remote workers, which is most of what my clients are dealing with, mm-hmm. um, you need people who have, have the skill to go and learn, the skill to go and figure it out. Because the last thing that you need is someone who constantly comes back to you and says, how do I do this? How do I do this? What did you want me to do? What do you want me to do next? I'm really, no, I don't have anything bad employee, but you know, that piece of like, do they have the ability to figure it out? And then do they have a grasp of what you want as an outcome? And this is where I'm always working with my people is that how are you communicating? Because if this is where it falls all the time is that business owners are great at, you know, building up the business. Those entrepreneurs, they, they love the startup. They get in there, they'll do all the work. And then when they go to bring on team members, they are terrible at communicating and they are terrible at letting go of control. Um, and now I've forgotten the second part of the question that you had there. <laughs> uh, it was, why, so, why, why do you think you didn't fire them? Why I didn't? Um, so at that time, I was distracted. So um, one of the things we haven't touched on is that I, I spent a six-year period um, learning and becoming a dominatrix. And that was an area that really created a, a huge amount of healing for me and my body and, and allowed me to step into my power. Um, and here's the interesting thing is that because that world is not necessarily accepted by most people, has a lot of judgment on it, mm. I kept it very secret. And in doing that, I kept all of that leadership and power of who I was separate 
from my business. So it was like my business was missing this power element. And, and that, you know, that's where the power element comes in of like holding people accountable and, you know, firing early and all of those pieces were missing. And yes, that was a, that was a big problem in my business. Wow. So it's almost like you had two separate identities. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's that, you know, Superman and Clark Kent. <laughs> idea. So, so looking back, cause I'd imagine, I imagine you're not alone. I mean, um, many years ago, I, I served a religious mission for my church and that's not another point, but, uh, I was talking with one of my colleagues there and he asked me, um, I don't remember how he phrased the question, but he was like, uh, do you like this kind of music? I was like, I mean, yeah, sure. I like certain kinds, whatever. And he's like, what about this? And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, well, how can you like this kind and that kind? And I was like, just cause you like one thing doesn't mean, and I, I think people kind of have, they segment many parts mm-hmm. of their lives. Um, how would you advise people to integrate the benefits from various aspects of their lives? So that way it goes across all uh, domains. You could say like, you know, their, their skills and their family, their skills in their mm-hmm. business and so forth. I, yeah. You know, it's a great point. Cause this piece of, um, you know, being able to be kind of multidimensional in who we are, I, I think, a lot of it is a mindset. You know, if you are the type of person that is that is open-minded, is always looking, then you're going to be gravitating to a variety of experiences. If you tend to be more narrow-minded, then you know the simple exercise of listening to something different, listening to an entirely different music genre, but with an open mind, spend a day listening to an entirely different music genre. And of course we have things like Spotify that can, you know, stream all kinds of of pieces for us. So we have access to all the different things, but that's a way of opening our mind, reading um, magazines that are on topics that you've, you know, nothing about is another way to start expanding your horizons, expanding your viewpoint, right? It's kind of like, I, 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 if you're a horse and you got those those blinders on to keep you focused and keep you on on the track, um, the minute you take the blinders off, you you're able to see much more and and it's a way of staying focused for the horses. But for us as individuals, we want to have a variety of experiences because that ability that ability to see different things is what's also going to allow us to interact with the most variety of people um, and have that open mind have um, the flexibility to change and grow as things are shifting and changing, especially right now, mid pandemic. Um, We want to have a flexible mindset. Yeah, I agree. Um, Having that mental agility and emotional agility is, Mm -hmm. is very important. And actually, I think that's a pretty good transition to you talked about how personal you discovered that personal development didn't really work for a lot of people, right? It's it's got some interesting uh, little pieces. So there's there are lots of um, personal development programs like the one that I got into, um, in which they start out with a very good intention that they're wanting to help people shift and grow, and what I see over and over again with a lot of these is that once they get to a certain point financially. 
and whether that's 5 million or 10 million, it's, it's, it's once the company reaches a certain size, the, the egotism and the narcissism starts to come in. And, and that's when things become a little less scrupulous. And so it becomes about the money. How do I get as many people in here as possible? And, and this is where I start to see the manipulation coming in. So there's these um, woven in little hints of like, you need us, you need the next program. If you're gonna untangle your money stuff, you just need the next program. And then you take that program and it's like, no, no, you need the next program. And it's never ending yeah. because they're not actually looking to get people free at that point. You know, they may have been at the beginning, but it now becomes a system of how do I keep people constantly addicted to what I'm doing so that I continually make money off them. And that's the, that's the, you know, the piece that just like, I, I get so irritated because it becomes cult-like in, in the piece of keeping people feeling like this is their only option. Yeah. And I think it's a really hard line to balance because I mean, everyone is, is trying to figure out how do I get people coming back to my business forever? Right. How do yeah. I continually give value? So what advice would you give to businesses to be able to create products or services that do provide constant value without employing manipulative tactics? I don't know if that's a realistic goal. Um, <laughs> I, I really don't. Like, I, you know, it, when we've seen that go badly, like we look at the Keurig, right? Keurig was one of the first product pieces that that look to keep that you know subscription model mm -hmm. you constantly mm -hmm. had to buy the the special cups and and then look at the cost of the environment i mean the the inventor of the keurig he's he's ashamed of his keurig because of how much of a mess it's made so i would say maybe we need to rethink what our values are and what we're looking to create is it strictly about the money or are we actually looking to get something else? And I know there are some people and some companies, it is strictly about the money. Great. Use your manipulation tactics because that is what's going to work. But when you're looking to provide a value that is beyond the dollar, then it's pretty easy to constantly think of like, okay, who is my customer? How do I provide value to them? And I think there's a natural cycle. Like if we think of like, I'm in the coaching world, um, I have a lot of long-term clients, but not everybody stays forever and they don't need to. And as long as I'm not trying to, if I'm not trying to make them stay forever, then I can stay focused on what they need. And then, you know, what happens is that all of those people are the, when somebody, when they come across somebody who needs my services, they're like, oh my God, you have to go see Dana. She's just amazing. Like I worked with her for three months. It blew my mind. I'm now this. So sustainability comes in that way, I would say, in that I don't have to market all that hard. I don't spend hardly anything on marketing because I have raving fans that constantly send me more referrals. To me, that's worth it, worth every penny. And then every once in a while, my past clients, I'm like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Why don't you come out for free? Come and audit it. And then that reminds them, they're like, oh my God, oh, you know what? I've been meaning to tell you, my friend, Sarah, she really needs to come see you, right? Like it's, it can grow on its own as opposed to needing it to be, you know, some crazy thing. And, and I don't know, I personally think that most of the companies that you see that are doing these baller numbers, um, they're spending, you know, 90% of it on ads. Mm -hmm. How is that? How, how is that actually profitable? Like you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. 
I'm sorry. It's just yeah. like, it doesn't work for me, but. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I think uh, I, if, I, if I were to sum it up for, for people, I would say, you know, develop a skill that is truly valuable. Like in your case, you have a very specific set of people that you work with and help uh, businesses that are past the startup stage and want to scale. Um, and I've actually learned this from my current boss. I work in a digital marketing agency. Uh, but when certain clients escalate and they are like, ah, we're threatening to cancel, you know, I've, I've heard him tell account managers and myself, like, hey, if they cancel, like, awesome, because they're a headache client. We yeah. like, frankly, we want them to go because we have other clients that we do work for. They pay us a lot of money and we get them really good results. So I think just having that abundant mindset of, and, and really the ability to focus on the good and kind of let the bad, you know, drift away. Um, <clears throat> so with your business in helping people scale, when, when a new client comes to you, they have a business, uh, what are, you know, what are the first things that you do to help them start scaling up their business? So we first start looking at, okay, what, where are you at? And, you know, yes, there's the logistics of, you know, where are you at financially? But for me, I, I really like looking at the mindset, shifting the mindset in order to shift what's happening on the outside. So I'm, I'm starting to look at, okay, how are you interacting with your staff? What's going on? Is there anybody that's a problem there? And we start digging into, you know, what is going on behind the scenes? How are you running things? How are you being showing up as a leader? Um, what's your mentality? And, and if I suggest that you, you know, stop doing a job because it's not an effective job for you, then what's the pushback? So we really, I, I really like to take a, a good look at, um, where are you coming at this mentally? Where are you coming at it emotionally? And where are you coming at it spiritually? Because there's the whole energetic component for me. And when those three pieces are in alignment, it is quite easy to start scaling your business because then you can let go of needing to be in control. You can let go of you know, how things get done and, and focus on the outcome that we're looking for and start drilling into um, the values. And that's, that's where I get people to also, you know, drill in. It's like, okay, what's, what's important for you? Where do you want to go? And let's talk about this, not from the perspective of like, oh, I think I want a $2 million company because I want a $2 million company. Like, no, no, why? Like, mm -hmm. like really get them connected with it um, so that we can create a roadmap. And it's very personalized for people because, I don't believe everybody should just set, you know, slap a number on something and say, that's what I want. Like, no, that's, that may not be like, I, I've worked with people who their goal was to make 80,000 a year. That was it. But they also wanted a lot of free time doing it. They only wanted to work 10 hours a week. So that's freedom. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Um, I, I think having, clarity on what you actually want is is vitally important and i think one thing that a lot of people especially uh, i hesitate to say my age you know in the millennial range group of people and up up and coming youngsters if we can call ourselves that we have this problem saying you know i want to be an entrepreneur um and uh, you know a lot of them consider themselves really bad employees and you you called yourself a bad employee i, I i've i've said this to other of my guests i i think you are a good employee, but you're so good that it's just terrible to be an employee because you could make things better, faster, you know, things like that. If I could characterize <laughs> that, but way. I'm also like at five, you know, five well, minutes to five, I'm standing at the, the thing yeah. waiting to punch out. So well, I am I'm a bad employee. 
No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad employee. I think that's a good employee um, because you understand that work has to stay at work. You know, work has a cutoff. Uh, I think too many of my generation say they're bad employees and, and they actually are bad employees. And they use that as an excuse to get into to being an entrepreneur. But the thing they don't realize and that you've, you've illustrated so wonderfully there is that your business will be a reflection of who you are. It can only be as good as mm. you are. And yes. the emotional baggage that you bring to the business will infect the business with the same problems that you have maybe in your personal life. You know, if you're not good at budgeting, the chances that you're good at budgeting in your business are, are basically nil. <laughs> uh, if you're not, yes. if, you know. Um, so, so how have you helped people deal with these problems that they bring into their business uh, without, you know, turning the business on its head and starting over? Oh, so I have this one client that I'm working with right now. She's a great example of this. So um, I won't give away too many details in case people are able to identify, but right. basically um, she was a, at about 400,000 in her business when we met, um, but no profit. And when, when we really started to drill in, you know, there was a layer of the fact that, you know, there was some abuse that happened in her childhood that was still playing out in her life. And so the way that shows up is that she wouldn't negotiate well, she would bend over backwards, she'd give everything away. You know, people, the customer would complain. She was like, oh, here, give me, give me, you know, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you this until she has no profit left in the project. And, and so we had to eliminate that. And then now all of a sudden she's, okay, she's not giving away the farm. Okay, now we have a chance to actually start digging out of the hole because there's a little bit of profit. And then we started to look at, okay, let's get her some negotiation skills so that when she's going in, going in she's negotiating at a higher profit. And then we layered on, okay, let's look at, um, look at how you're managing the money and making sure that you're implementing um, Mike Michalowicz's Profit First System, which is brilliant. If anybody hasn't read that book, go get it. Um, putting that profit, allocating that profit account, allocating out the expenses, figuring it out ahead of time so that, again, it's about making sure that she's profitable. Now, all of a sudden, we're able to evaluate, you know, bids that are coming in saying, okay, is this something that you want to take on? Or is it going to be um, too much, you know, too much work, not enough profit? And so she started saying no to the pieces that are not a good fit. And uh, a year later, so she's been with me for a year, a year later, she's uh, pushing past the million mark and profitable. And she's putting that 10% profit away. So this is like, this is a substantial change in one year. But for me, what I'm really excited about is that she's stepping into being leader. And now we're starting to really cultivate her team and getting her team to be doing the work instead of her so that she can be the face of the company. Um, so that's our, that's our next year's plan of changing for her. Yeah, I've seen this as an employee, unfortunately, where <clears throat> the uh, the head honcho has um, actually, well, had some mental problems, honestly, mm. um, and emotional ones, including ego and things like that. And that really hampered the business because there were employees all around me that had hidden talents and, and passions and, and potential that weren't able to uh, what's the, what's the word? Like the fulfill or, or accomplish, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it's really tragic to see businesses have, have that happen. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'd be, I'd, I'd guess in her personal life, she also benefited from your coaching as well, right? Oh, hugely. Yeah. Her relationship with her husband is transforming 
you know, she's speaking up more, mm-hmm. she's having more of an equal role in the, you know, dynamic there where she's been the, the doormat for, for years. Um, so yeah, what we do for business um, overlays and, and affects our personal as, as well as vice versa. So it's, it's so rewarding what I get to do. I, I'm, I feel so, so blessed. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have too much time left. Kind of last, um, I guess you could say fire round question, top few tips for business owners. If you had a few minutes, what would you say? Um, first thing, you know, top tip is, is to, you know, start finding some tools that are going to allow you to have more emotional bandwidth. Um, so, you know, I mentioned emotional freedom technique. That is a great DIY tool that you can use to start bringing your stress level down. Um, look at changing what you're eating and what you're drinking in direction of, again, being able to reduce your stress and increase your emotional bandwidth. Uh, ideally, get somebody like myself to, to help you get your head out of your ass uh, and on straight, <laughs> you know, that's ideal. Um, and then, you know, really start taking a, a good look at how can I start moving in the direction of thinking in terms of, I'm going to run this company instead of doing all the jobs in the company mm-hmm. and, and taking one piece off your plate every six months. And, and really, you know, once you take it off your plate that you leave it off of your plate. So it's a bigger picture, but it does start with you as the business owner to change the inner landscape. And then you're going to be able to manage your, your team and implement all those great tools. Excellent. Uh, that's awesome stuff. I, I especially love, you know, dealing with your emotional bandwidth. We don't, I don't think we think about enough how the various aspects of our life affect each other. You know, I, you know, I work at home and I can't tell you how many times, usually I'm, I'm really, really good at working and doing my job. And there's those times when you have a fight with the missus and uh, you get back to work and you're like, I just, this sucks. Like I, I can't focus or whatever. So I, I like how you mentioned, you know, what you're drinking, what you're eating and all that. <clears throat> um, before we let you go, please tell our audience, how can they reach out to you, support you, see what you're, what you're up to and so forth. Yeah. So here's a great thing. I am the only Dana Ferrant in the world. Wow. Uh, so if you put that into Google, last name is P-H-A-R-A-N-T. You will find me anywhere. Um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And then the website is danaferrant.com. Cool. Awesome. I will get those in the show notes. Um, but also before you go, we need to give our audience some action items. So this is the list I came up with based on what we talked about and, and feel free to add to this list after I'm done. Perfect. So number one is to define your standards slash values. Number two is to grow the ability to figure it out. Kind of going back to what you're saying about good employees. I think good business owners also have that mentality. So whether you're a business owner or employee, that's something you need. Number three is to expand your life, uh, become more open-minded, kind of like what you were saying, try new things. And this also goes back to number one about defining your standards. It'll help there too. Number four is to find more tools to have more emotional bandwidth, like you just mentioned. Uh, Any others that you wanted to add to that? I think that's a really great list to be working on. I think if we give them any more, it's going to be too much, but those are some awesome 
Yeah. Excellent. Great Excellent. summary. Love it. Uh, yeah. I will put all that up in the show notes as well as how they can reach out to you and links to that. But Dana, thank you so much for coming on the Hard Thing Podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story, uh, probably being vulnerable and, and sharing us maybe uh, at least the mistake with not firing those people, but also some, some hard times and, and some bumpy times as you described them. But thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast episode. Uh, I, I love doing this show and I really hope you love listening. Uh, I know that if you, if you actually do these action items, you're going to get a ton out of this conversation because uh, you're going to see results. That's the simple fact. You may not see results today, but you will see results. These action items are from people who have done these hard things and they've seen the difference. So if you implement these, you will see the changes in your life. One thing that I really liked about today's episode specifically was the idea that some of us are living double lives. Not so extreme as, you know, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but definitely the idea of we live lives that are not integrated with one another. Some things that you like might not be integrated with other things. and You know, you're hiding hobbies or things from your friends or whatever it is. And take this with a grain of salt. Don't do anything illegal, but I would say live what you truly believe. And if you are aspiring to something that you don't believe just yet, work on yourself until you believe it and then live it. Or live what you believe. Stop, stop faking it for people who probably don't matter anyways. Live what you truly believe or make it so you believe how you are living. That's the only way you can avoid cognitive dissonance. That's, that's the only way we can, you can live a truly integrated life. That's one thing that I really enjoyed from today's conversation. Uh, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Come back next Monday for another awesome conversation with an amazing guest. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, obviously the first thing you can do is just leave a rating and review and, and follow the podcast wherever podcasts are played. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, really anywhere. Uh, just leave a, a simple rating and review, and that goes so far in helping other people find the podcast. Also, you can save them the trouble and just share it with them. That goes even farther. You know, it's it's super simple. They have buttons for it now. So if you want to support the podcast, go ahead and do that. Last thing, reach out to me on Instagram at the Hard Thing Podcast, and and give me some feedback about the podcast. What do you like? What you don't like? What should be changed? What should be improved? What what is doing really well? You know, just send me a quick DM and tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear what you say. And even just send me some information about what are the hardest things you're going through. Maybe we can do some podcasts on that. And also, I'd love to feature you and your story, uh, maybe on our Patreon or, or other places. So reach out to me on Instagram at the Hard Thing Podcast. I'd love to see what you're all about. There's one last thing that you can do for me. And I say this every week. And I know you might be like, oh, okay, that's just how he ends the show. I mean, it is, but I end the show specifically because this show is all about action. Nothing happens until you take the principles from this podcast and implement it in your life. So go out and do some hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but 
uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys once in a lifetime. You have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up <laughs> uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down, having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you.